This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... The winner, it's a tie. And any little girl who's who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here for today's interview episode with David Canfield. Hello. David, you got the chance to talk to Christian Friedel. I think my high school German has gotten me close to pronouncing his name correctly. Um, and he is the star of The Zone of Interest, the Jonathan Glazer film from A24 that premiered at Cannes Film Festival. I got to see it in Toronto. It's also playing the New York Film Festival. I think lots of people are getting the chance to see it at film festivals right now. And for me, I think it was a real introduction to Christian Friedel, who has been acting for a long time, but really takes the center of this film in a completely captivating way. I'm imagining you felt the same way about his performance. Very much so. You know, the attention, just given her overall year, has been on Sandra Huller, but I think Friedel gives a really powerful and surprising performance in this film, playing a very difficult character to decide to take on and I think to inhabit, which we talk about a lot, just given the nature of what this film is. Yeah, it's not just that it's playing a Nazi, which I think comes with its own challenges, but the way that this film kind of keeps its characters out of remove, kind of only gives you the briefest glimpses into who they are as people, how they feel about what they're doing. So much of it's happening with the filmmaking, kind of, um, you know, critiquing Auschwitz. Um, mm-hmm. And he's at the center of all that, but the performance adds so much richness to the film in a way that's almost kind of hard to put your finger on why. Yeah, it's just fascinating the way Glazer made this movie, which we talk about a lot. When he was first presented with the opportunity to star in this movie, he was not told what the conceit of the movie was, who he would be playing. He was only told it was a Jonathan Glazer film. So he doesn't even know what he's stepping into necessarily. (laughs) And then in terms of the way Glazer filmed it, it was almost – he described it like – Big Brother in a Nazi house, uh, <laughs> which mean which means, <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 still uh, still processing that one, but it sounds pretty accurate because they had um, hidden cameras all over the house where they filmed, and had these long takes between him and Sandra Huller, who plays his wife. This is you know uh, based on a real family within this proximity to Auschwitz and it just captures their day-to-day life and, and having to play that so mundanely, I think you really feel the effect of the movie because of the way in which they were tasked with acting in this movie. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, for American audiences, I know that there's a lot of fans of Babylon Berlin out there, but this is really a breakout role for him here. And, um, you know, he's not the most appealing figure in the movie, which is a credit to his performance. So I'm personally excited to hear the interview so I can hear what the real Christian Friedel is like. I imagine he's a much nicer guy. And he's not an imposing figure in real life. Far from it. Uh, he's also a musician, which I learned in the research for this interview. And uh, he's had a, a really interesting career. He's play, He actually played a, a man who attempted to assassinate Adolf Hitler in what was probably his breakout role. He got some nominations in Germany for it. So he's he's done a lot of different kinds of things. And I think this is the movie that puts him on the map in a larger way. Well, I'm excited to learn about him and more about the zone of interest. Let's hear your conversation with Christian Fidel. Christian, you're here for the zone of interest, which is one of the best films of the year, and I think one of the most challenging films of the year. I, I want to start with a, a, a broad question, really about your relationship to this film. Um, what it means to you uh, as an artist, as an actor, uh, and your experience of, of playing it and of, I assume, watching it, now that you have a little bit of distance from it, how would you describe uh, your relationship to this movie? Um, I'm really, really, really glad and proud to be a part of Jonathan Glazer's vision, to be a part of a really relevant movie, a really important movie. And for me especially, uh, to be honest, I was really overwhelmed when I saw the movie for the first time and I felt very uncomfortable to watch this movie. Mm -hmm. And it felt intense, And uh, but I'm really glad to be a part of it. And um, yeah, and I watched the movie now four times. Wow. <laughs> um, it's not a movie to watch it four times, I think. <laughs> um, this work was really unique and really important for me as an actor and as a human being too. Mm. Yeah, I, I know people who have said this is one of the best movies they've ever seen and they will never watch it again. So wow. <laughs> I think, yeah, four times is four times yes. is a lot for this one. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about how this first came your way, how you first learned of, of the project's existence and, and what your involvement could be? Um, there was an offer, um, I think it was three years ago. I had to do a selfie to introduce myself. Why did I become an actor? But without knowing the script, without knowing the role, only knowing this is for a new movie from Jonathan Glazer. Oh, wow. And uh, I, had, I had to decide to do it in German or in English. And I felt, okay, I had to do it in German because it felt more natural. And um, that was good because I was the only actor who decided to do it in German. Huh. Because fluidly, I can, German is my native language and um, I love the English language, but um, I felt, yeah, more natural to do it in, in German. And then I had an invitation um, to meet Jonathan and his longtime producer and friend, Jim Wilson, in a pub in London. And then John shares with me his vision of the movie. Um, we talk about the potential role in it. He shared photos, his investigation. And then I heard for the first time uh, this story, that there was a family lived very 
close to the concentration camp and daddy goes to work and kill millions of people and this horrible story I, I heard it for the first time this dimension and for me from the very beginning I want to be a part of it um, so mm -hmm. then I had a traditional casting with the late casting director Simone Baer and with my lovely colleague Sandra Hüller and to find a chemistry to create what's this couple in this movie um, and then John asks me one time do you want to be part of my film and I said immediately yes mm. so it was like a marriage proposal <laughs> <laughs> a very a very cautious one at first I guess I mean <laughs> what what's the emotional experience of of that journey from auditioning, putting in a tape for a Jonathan Glazer movie, you don't know what it is, to realizing really the gravity of what you're being asked to do. I mean, it's yeah. it's got to be a, a real discovery process. Yeah, this gravity, this, I felt this gravity and the dimension of the whole movie, the whole project, when I saw the movie in Cannes. And it started with, um, I grew up, with a lot of music videos and MTV and I I know Jonathan's work and then when this offer was there then I realized okay my god this is a visionary director I saw birth and under the skin and then mm -hmm. yes that was really exciting and the dimension of this character and and this darkness of this character and so this started with the preparation for this movie. We had a lot of conversations together with Jonathan and Sandra Hüller, and we talked a lot about the characters. The script was phenomenal. It was a really, really great script. And sometimes it, it reminds me on the work of Michael Haneke. Sometimes mm -hmm. you, you hear more than you see. And, um, My first movie was The White Ribbon. It was long right. ago. And, and I played the school teacher. And there, there's a little connection to this movie because in The White Ribbon, we, we see the, the kids, maybe they become the future perpetrators in the Second World War. Yep. And now uh, I decided to, to change the site and to play a Nazi. But it was important for us in the, in the search. I think all these, this shoot was more a search than a typical shoot and yeah to getting deep into this this preparation to create this character uh, then i had to lose weight for the summer shoot and gain mm -hmm. weight for the winter shoot is a very important detail for the character and so on and this was really intense but for me the most important uh, things to create this character and to find this a believable situation was the conversations with uh, Jonathan and with Sandra. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. 
Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And and the way he shot this was, I suppose, very fly on the wall, right? Where you guys are doing these long, unbroken takes in the house, and yes. you are essentially tasked with living ordinary life amid these this monstrosity. Um, what what did that exact experience and the logistics of that look like uh, for you as an actor? It was really unique, and I never had an experience like that because we we had the multi-camera system, yeah. and sometimes there were uh, 10 cameras, and this allows us to create or to find the normality or the documentary style. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, Jonathan said, this is Big Brother in a Nazi house. Um, <laughs> it, it sounds, but, but it, it's... No, yeah, it is. It we is. observe the characters. Uh, we don't follow the characters in an ordinary story. We, we observe the characters. And um, it allows us to be in this house. We were alone without technical interruptions, without technicians. The camera department was in the basement, uh, for example, and John Jonathan and his team was separated next to the set in a little house with 10 monitors, uh, one ear, the German or the original tone, and the other ear, the translation from the... It, it was amazing. But for us as an actor, it was a really, really great luxury situation to, we have a lot of time. We had only two or maybe three scenes on a day, sometimes one scene. And we have all the time in the world to improvise, to find, to be with only the actors in the house or in the garden or even in different rooms. Or sometimes we shot scenes simultaneously in, in different rooms and you hear your colleagues speaking in another room oh, wow. and to find this sometimes ordinary life or this normal, sometimes boring life. 
that was really, really a great experience. And um, I was not allowed to create this character emotional. It was mm -hmm. for me important that we don't see him as a typical evil perpetrator. We, we, we want to see him. As an audience, you, you have the wish, oh yes, that's not me. But the challenge was, this is a normal human being. He's a father. He's interested in nature. He loves his kids, his wife. He has an affair. He's a normal. And that was really, that was really challenging um, yeah, for us. But this multi-camera system, this 360 degrees, sometimes you don't know which angle is important. It, it was not important to know that. Um, and this was really, really great and unique. Yeah. Did you have any concerns about that part of it being communicated? I mean, Rudolph especially is, is fairly you know mild mannered, and uh, your his wife, played by Sandra Huller, is is she gets a few moments of of more clearly communicated uh, evil, let's say, uh, than mm. yours. Um, but I, it does sound like you're putting a lot of trust in your director to communicate what we know is going on. And, and obviously in the final film, it's there in that horrific soundscape and some of these conversations in the shot of the museum, which I don't want to spoil too much for mm. listeners. But um, what did it feel like knowing that the movie had to tell something that maybe you couldn't necessarily tell in that performance? Jonathan said to me one really important sentence before the shooting. Um, he said to me, it's important for the character, if you tell the truth, then lie with your eyes. And if your mm. eyes uh, tell the truth, then lie with your mouth. And this was really important for me to have this in my mind, because we don't know exactly what his thoughts are. And because the family lives so close to the concentration camp, the, the, the original house is there. And we shot the movie in in Auschwitz and very close to the original house and very close to the concentration camp. And daddy goes to work. And this was really important for me. There were some scenes, emotional scenes. We see him sometimes as a perpetrator, sometimes very angry. Um, but Jonathan's choice was to cut it out because it's not important. Mm. And I think to know that and to feel that you said that this work with Jonathan was full of trust. I trust him a lot. And we talked about sometimes it felt easy to have waking up or have a birthday party or something, but there was a difficulty in it because um, Jonathan doesn't speak German, but he felt the truth. You can hear the truth. And I think this is the most important thing what you hear is maybe more important than what you see because there's two movies in it, a movie you can see and a movie you can hear. And Haneke uh, said to me, the ears never lie. And I think mm. this is a really, really good point. And I think this movie is, yeah, what I said, it's a movie about us. And I think the importance of the movie is what we hear and what we feel in us. And this is uncomfortable, but it's important to realize these could be us. This is inside of us. I cannot say, and especially as a German um, with this historical context, and so I cannot say 
my decisions in the future will be the right decisions. So, and yeah, this is really um, interesting. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned the relationship with Sandra being pretty important to your, to your process on this movie. And, and the two of you create maybe what I would call a, a beautiful nightmare of a marriage <laughs> in this film. Yeah. Um, but one that really rings very true. Um, how did you find working with her and, and what did you, what did you gain out of that collaboration? Um, Sandra and I, we, we worked together 12 years ago in Jessica Hausner's movie, Amor Fu. It was yeah. a movie about Heinrich von Kleist and I played Heinrich von Kleist and she played my cousin. And that was our first work together. And we had some funny scenes, really funny scenes. And we felt that we know each other for a long time, or we, we felt a lot of trust and, and that was really, helpful f to create this couple because this couple sometimes we said this is a professional couple there there was love maybe in the past and now they organized the life daddy has the work and um, his wife Hedwig she's the queen in in the house and and to create this couple and to have this trust and and becoming friends for us in private um that was really helpful and and important and i'm admire um sandra she is a really great actress and sometimes she's a really she's an inspiration for me for example the scene at the river and she she said to rudolph no no you you go but i i stay here that's our paradise that's important for us and we had the freedom to create every take there was every time one takes and we have to change things or make it different than the other take and to watch her creating this it was really inspiring for me and i'm really grateful to play next to her in this movie yeah and i hope she will get all the awards uh, <laughs> for an anatomy of a fall and uh, yeah so, she's, yeah. she's had a good year, but I think we can hope for the both of you. Yeah, I think you both <laughs> you both deserve. Um, watching you in this film, I, I was reminded of of one of my favorite performances of yours, which is in 13 Minutes, um, oh, plays yeah. George Elser. Um, yeah. And he attempted to assassinate Adolf Hitler, so you're very much on the opposite side there. Um, yeah. But, you know, you mentioned being a German actor, being in this world, this particular period, what is your relationship to it as as a performer? Is it is it difficult for you to continually step into this space, whether you know regardless of what side you're playing, or or is it important to you? How do how do you how do you find that and negotiate that over time? Um, foreign German actors sometimes there's a cliche. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, you have to play a Nazi, uh, or you have to play in the Third Reich, or in in the time of the Second World War. And I had a lot of projects in this time period. And sometimes uh, Haneke said to me, you have a um, you have a historical face. And this mm. is very helpful. Um, but I hope there will be a modern movie sometimes. <laughs> but but um, I think there's. Uh, it started with The White Ribbon. And after The White Ribbon, I had another movie called Closed Season. And I played the Jewish character, Fleet the Nazis, and it was really important for me to knowing this side. And then after this movie, I had 
the opportunity to play Georg Elser. He's not well known as a resistance fighter, but he's a very mm -hmm. important uh, resistance fighter who tried to assassinate Hitler in Munich and then killed just before the Second World War ends. And this journey now to play Rudolf Hess, to play a Nazi, to change the side. For me, the decision was all these people are human beings. So, and I tried to find the normality uh, and to find a way to create this character so believable that you tell the stories of them and to make it relevant. Hmm. I know you're a musician as well. And I'm curious with a role like this, say, which for some could be very intensive, all-consuming, is it important for you to keep that balance of your musical side and your acting side and, and have both of those things, even when you're in a role as intense as this? Um, sorry, I for forget one thing. Um, I'm a part of Babylon Berlin, and it's it's the same time period. Yes, you are, yes. I a gay character there. I, I love to transform. Sometimes I'm uh, I'm invisible and, and I change to this character. And Rudolf Hess is one of the characters I have a long time inside of me, and it was really really hard to 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 find a way to lose him. And the music helps me a lot. I, I like it very much. I had a promotional tour now in the U.S. and I come back and have a tour with my band. Huh. And this band was my family, is my second family. And music helps me. Music is for me, sometimes I said, the most personal expression. But when I create a character and even uh, Rudolf Hess, I try to connect them to my inner feelings or something. And music is very helpful for me because music is a key uh, and an opener for me to dive into um, these characters and to have this both sides to to compose music, to have a concert or to yeah, to make music. This is really, this is um, really, really important for me because I need this only to be an actor. It's not only boring it's <laughs> it's uh, no it's an inspiration i think these two worlds it's um there's a connection and i think um yeah it's really important for me yeah i i would imagine after uh talking to a lot of journalists like me in, in the us <laughs> it's probably a good outlet <laughs> <laughs> but i had it when i came back uh, from toronto and i was there in the morning in Frankfurt, and then I had a concert at the same evening with the jet lag in Düsseldorf. It's it's close to Frankfurt. I had an energy. I I don't know where, hmm. but the band, my bandmates, were really surprised. But this movie in my bag to present this movie, and it's it's so, I'm so grateful to be a part of it and to have it in my mind and the audience talk about that. And most of them are really, really excited. Um, it's lucky days, yeah. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowicz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah. that. We support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> 
Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asha, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, you've taken this film to to Cannes, to Telluride, to Toronto. How have you found the conversations, the audience experience um, from place to place? And I don't believe you've taken it to, to Germany yet, but I imagine you're, you're anticipating what that's going to be like as well. This this will be really really interesting. It, it's uh, unfortunately in in February next year, right. but um, in Cannes was I was overwhelmed, and after the screening, people on the street came to me and want to talk about the movie, wants to talk about the experience, and most of them said this is this very unique experience you had. You, you have to react to this movie and you have to feel getting into the movie. And for me, it's very interesting. I have a theater background and mm-hmm. in the theater, you create your character in the moment and you feel this dialogue from the audience to, to the stage and to sitting there and to watch the movie with other people this is a really really great experience for me and i felt okay there there are a lot of people they had a problem maybe they they said no i don't want to see the perpetrators i don't want mm-hmm. to feel with the perpetrators i don't want to understand that it's it's great to 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 realize that and and on the other hand the people dive into and they are they can't talk about this immediately after the movie when we had this Q&As and that was really interesting and then you talk yeah. to the people about this and there's a lot of conversations and a lot of uh, experiences uh, and this is really really great and you feel okay this is a relevant movie and it's not only a movie about a huge incredible unbelievable horrible crime it's a movie that we realize the decisions we made defines us and these human beings do this to other human beings and we are masters of self-deception we we ignore the atrocities happening around us we compartmentalize this and this movie works because sometimes sandra and and i we were unsure when we shoot this movie sometimes we had a phone call what we are doing here is this right is it my god that would be a scandal or i don't know but then to feel no this is the right way to tell the story from this perspective um this is really really great mm, mm. and so so at the other hand just a funny note there was a um a famous actor who saw this movie and after the screening we sat together and he asks the producer uh, this um, um, kind man what 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 was this part and then the producer said he played the 
commandant. And then he was shocked. And that was, um, I, I like this very too. Maybe it's difficult for my career, but I, I like this, this <laughs> works. And uh, even a famous actor doesn't recognize me in private. Yeah. It's that's how it should be, right? That's yeah. a, that's what yeah, you want. Yeah. 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 I, I saw the movie in Telluride and the, the, ah. the od audience was sort of, you know, there's a stunned into silence. There's this long cut yeah. to black yeah. before the movie yeah. ends. Um, and festivals are just interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious, like, say at a place like Telluride, how you experience just being there with the movie, if you got to see any movies, um, because there's a real conversation at a place like that that I think is exciting. Yeah, I, it, it's, I was my first time in Telluride, and I really, really enjoyed it to watch so many movies and to talk about that with the filmmakers, with the audience, and so casual without red carpet. And yeah, so it's really great. Yeah. Did you get? Did you have any favorites from Telluride? Yeah, one of my favorite was the documentary from John Baptiste. Um, mm, yeah, American Symphony. American Symphony. It was open air, and there was a little, little small concert from John Baptiste before the screening. That was a really luxury situation, and I really liked the um, Poor Things and Yogas mm -hmm. Lantimos and Saltburn, and I was really touched from all of us strangers that was a really yeah, touching experience emotional experience and sandra and i we sat there in tears it was a it reminds me on my own story i i, I lose my parents very early and mm. this there was a connection to to this main character and yeah that was this, yeah a lot of great movies so um that was really great there yeah It's a special thing, I think, to have a movie like Zone of Interest in a place like that yes. where, yeah. because it's a conversation movie, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That does it for this week's episode. We'll be back on Thursday. Find us in the meantime at VanityFair.com, on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider. I'm on Twitter and on Blue Sky at Katie Rich and David. David Canfield 97. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.